Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burden. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it that you've come back so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flocks. So he said to his daughter, And where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites. And the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories. 
We call them Bible stories. They're Bible scripture. There are lessons for us in each of these stories. We ask that the lessons would find their home in our heart, that you would teach us some things about you, teach us the things we need to know about ourselves and about your work for us and in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to zero in, if we were to entitle this morning's message, we would zero in on verse 11 of chapter 3. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now we acknowledge the truth of the passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, that clearly states, <clears throat> My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And it's speaking of God. God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, that we can never really understand them. Now, we acknowledge this in theory, but in practice, many times, we're like Moses. Now, if we were to sum up verse 11 in South Arkansas language, we would just sum it up, what was God thinking? You ever been that way? You ever, you ever had things happen in your life? You're thinking, what's God thinking? Why is this happening? Why does this happen now? And I'm sure when God said, Moses, you're the one. What are you thinking? What are you thinking that he would ask Moses to do this job? Now, before we get into the main streamlined point of the message, I'm, I'm going to chase a couple of rabbits. Not long, all right? We're going to catch them. Number one... This passage, this whole passage, gives us some grown-up lessons from the start. And the first one is this. As we look at what's happening in the whole uh, chapter 2, all the verse of chapter 2, here's a grown-up lesson. God can make something good happen, even out of man's worst behavior. You can't get much worse than Pharaoh wanting to throw all the babies in the river. The boy babies that were born, they're born alive, throw them in the river. You can't get much worse than that. Now, this definitely was not by the hand of God. God would not instigate this. God would not move upon someone to do this. But, of course, Pharaoh could make his own decisions. And that is a big mystery that we'll never really have all the answers to, is how people's ability to make choices they can make bad choices, and those bad choices can affect the lives of many people. I'm not going to pretend to know all of these mysteries as to how this happens. But I know this. This was hideous. It was as bad as bad can be. But God brought something good out of it. Now, you say, now, tell, me, tell me exactly what could be good here. There would be no reason, if everything was going well, for a Hebrew mother to put her baby in a little basket and float it down the river. She had to do that because of what Pharaoh had done. Now the fact that she did this put all of the events in place where Moses floated where Pharaoh's daughter was coming to the river. Moses cried at just the right time. Her heart melted, and she took the baby in, and he grew up in the courts of Egypt. 
God can make something good out of man's worst. Now, all this was put in place. Why were they in Egypt in the first place? Well, you back up the Genesis. You remember the brothers who sold their own brother into slavery? God didn't do that. They would have to face responsibility for that. Pharaoh would have to face responsibility for his actions. But God took the worst thing that brothers could do and the worst treachery and the worst betrayal and God did something good. Now, if God can do something good out of the worst things that can happen, how much better can he do out of the good things that we can give to him? God can make something out of good out of something bad. Just this week, and this happens almost every week if I get out in public. Just this week, somebody spoke to me at a funeral, and they said, I just want to let you know, I watch your church services every Sunday since you started. And I hear that over and over and over. You know why we do a Facebook church service? Because of the restrictions of COVID-19 last March. A year ago let me tell you we weren't thinking about doing that in a serious way it had been presented a time or two we were forced into it we were forced into it and and the restrictions of COVID were bad the events of this disease were hideous and horrible but because of that God brought something good and now there are people all over this part of the state and in other states and in other parts of the world who are able to hear the message of God. And all of that came to pass because we were forced to close in-house services for a few months. And I mean, the next Sunday, we had a team that could put stuff together. And they put it together, this Facebook live stream broadcast that goes out to hundreds of people. God, God can make something good out of a mess, can't he? And he can make something good out of our life. But now I'm really going to chase a rabbit, and this is just kind of extra. There's nothing to do with the, the message, but you've got to hear this one. Now, another grown-up lesson here. Recognizing a good opportunity is important. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 16. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water. And they filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. But the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flocks. And they came to Ruel, their father, and he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, Egyptian, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So here's a man named Ruel. Now, let me talk to you about this guy. Ruel means friend of El. El is another Hebrew name for God. So the priest of Midian was a friend of God. He worshiped God. His name was Ruel. But now in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Moses is the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Well, you have to understand, is there a contradiction here? Absolutely not. The word Jethro is a title. The word Jethro means excellence. Now, in the Hebrew language, it means excellence. And it was translated to Jethro. And for the last 3,000 years or more, in Hebrew and in English, I suppose it maintained its original meaning. That all changed on September 26. 
1962, when the first episode of the Beverly Hillbillies came on. <laughs> Jethro doesn't mean excellence anymore, but let me tell you, back then it did. All right, back on track. Jethro had seven daughters. And in the culture in which they lived, everybody wanted a house full of boys because the boys could do the farm work and tend to the flock. He had a house full of seven daughters. Doesn't say he had any sons, so I'm going to assume all he had was a house full of girls. He was awash in a sea of estrogen. He was outvoted, outnumbered. Well, the best thing that a man could hope for his daughters is to get them married off. They had to find a feller. They had to, so they came home one day, and he said, you're here kind of early. What happened? Because it was a customary thing for them to have to wait for the other shepherds to get through. Then they would come to the, uh, to the well. And they said, man, you never believe it, Pop. You'd never believe it. We went to the well, and this hero came up. I mean, this, this Egyptian came up, and you should have seen him. He stood up to all those shepherds, and he ran them off. He ran them off and watered the trough and, and filled the water troughs, and we could water. The, he did all that for us. And he said this, why have you left the man? Where is he? What are you thinking? He said, go get him back. Because he knew that, hey, I can get one daughter married off. <laughs> and he's a good candidate. So did you catch it? What are y'all thinking? You had a perfectly good guy, a hero here, and you left him out there? Bring him here. So you, you see the grown-up lesson is this. you got to recognize a good opportunity when you see one, and you really need to act on that opportunity. And Ruel, the friend of God, schooled his daughters in the fact, this happens again, you better bring every guy here that happens to do that for you. But that, that set the things in place for Moses to become part of Jethro's household, and, of course, he kept his sheep. Now, then we fast forward to the burning bush. We fast forward to the burning bush and we understand God had a job for Moses to do. Sometimes our human perspective only sees the disqualifications. When God lays his hand on someone, whether it's ourselves or someone else, a lot of times we look at God's choice and we say, what, what's God thinking? Moses had those questions. Let's look at the major disqualifications of Moses. Why would he say, well, why have you chosen me? Number one, <clears throat> he was older than most men around him. He was 80 years old, as we see in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. He was 80 years old. Now, what's Moses' perspective of 80 years old? Well, you see that in the 90th Psalm. You know the passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 90. It says in uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, The days of our lives are 70 years. If by reason of strength they are 80 years, their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off when we fly our way. Now, this is not a Psalm of David. You look real close, Moses wrote this Psalm. So what's Moses thought about 80 years old? He said, man, it's stretching it if you get to be 80. 
He said, most of all, it's, it's 70. And by reason of strength, you get to be 80 years old. So he was looking at 80 as probably one of the upper limits because he knew that everybody else was younger than he is. So he would say, God, there's some people that are younger than I am. Let them do it. Secondly, he had some major mistakes in his past, big ones. You know the story. In verse 11, it said, came to pass in those days when he was grown. Now we understand in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, when Stephen was recounting this, Stephen said he was 40 years old. Now the rabbis and the Hebrew people and all, they would know this, and it would be a part of every Jewish boy's upbringing. He knew that Moses was about 40 years old at this time. He was about 40 years old, and he knew he was a Hebrew, <clears throat> living as an Egyptian prince. And he went out to see his brethren. He knew how they were treated, and maybe had never really seen how bad they were treated. And as he stepped up, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, in the original language, the wording of this could very well have been he was beating him to death. We don't know how excusable his actions were, but we do know this. He became a fugitive. He looked this way. He looked that way. He killed the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. Killed him. He had a major, major scar on his past. And no doubt he was looking at that and said, <clears throat> pardon me, God, I just ran from Egypt 40 years ago because they want to kill me over there. You want me to go back? You, do you understand? I've got a warrant. I've got a warrant. And, and they wanted to kill me. I, you don't need to use me. I've got too many mistakes in my past. <clears throat> and then he occupied a position of lowly status. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Median. He led the flock to the backside of the desert. He led the flock to the back. So here he is, a shepherd, a nobody. Nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows where he is. He would be gone for months at a time, all by himself, leading the flock. You're talking about anonymous? He was at the backside of the middle of nowhere, tending sheep. Now, shepherds were, of course, a very lowly occupation when it comes to status. They weren't the movers and shakers in the community. They didn't sit at the gate. They weren't one of the elders in the land. And not only this, he wasn't even keeping his own sheep. He wasn't like he was a big ranch owner. He was keeping somebody else's sheep. So we understand he had a very lowly position. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Why would God feel that it was even possible to lay his hand on Moses? God had invested years in the education and preparation of Moses. Let's look what he did. Number one, Moses had the best education as is humanly possible. Egypt was the most advanced civilization, one of the most powerful countries, if not the powerful country in the world at the time. Moses had, was raised and, and educated in the house of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. Uh, the education of a boy in Egypt would begin as soon 
as he was weaned. So as soon as he was weaned, and as soon as Pharaoh, uh, as Moses' mother gave him to be raised in Pharaoh's house, he started the education. And the education of the Egyptian culture was the best at the time. He had access to astronomy, which meant navigation. Science, all other kinds of knowledge that were available to the human race at that time. Stephen said this, and he summed it all up. Moses was mighty in word and deed. He is a big dog. He had gotten the best education that humanity could give him at that time. Had a good head on his shoulders. But secondly, he learned the hard lesson of his own weakness. Verse 12 says, of course, he looked this way and he looked that way. And then he killed the Egyptian. Those lessons are hard to learn, aren't they? And when we learn them, we hope we don't forget them. But God had taught him something about himself that he was going to need to know about his own weakness, about his own frailty. And I'll say this. He had 40 years all by himself with those sheep. And I know for a fact he had his discussion with God about that mistake that day. And I know a fact, for a fact, as God laid his hand on him, we know that he was forgiven of that. He wasn't running from God. He was running from Pharaoh, right? So we know that he had dealt with God about that. No doubt he had uh, thought about it a lot. But now here's something altogether important as well. He had a 40-year degree program in cross-country navigation and living off the land. For 40 years, he was a shepherd leading a flock through the wilderness. He knew how to chart his course. He knew how to live off the land. He knew all of the weather patterns. He knew everything there was to know about being in the wilderness with nothing but yourself. He knew that. God had laid his hand on him. And then, this is important, he had a clear presentation of the people that he would be leading. Look close. He rescues a Hebrew man that's being beat to death by an Egyptian man. And in verse 13, it says, he went out the second day, he said, behold, he saw two Hebrew men were fighting. Now this time out, time out. It was hard enough to have to deal with the oppression of Pharaoh. But they made it harder on themselves because in all the impression and all of the hard work and all of the impossible demands that they had, they couldn't get along with each other. That was the people God said, you're going to lead me out. Then they turned on Moses. They turned and Moses, who do you think you are? Try to tell us what to do. And all he was trying to tell them is it's not a good thing for you to beat each other up. So we understand when God said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. When we see that it actually happened and Moses led this congregation, they whined, they complained. The word they have here is murmured. They looked over their shoulder and said, we just think it'd be a lot better if we had stayed back there. 
We don't, we don't want to go forward. We don't want to do this. I'm tired of this bread. I'm hungry. When are we going to stop? When are we going to stop? How much further? Then, of course, God provides bread, and they said, well, I'm, I'm tired of this bread. Then he says, well, you collect it during the, during the week, and on the Sabbath day, you don't collect it. And they all just piled it all up, and it got rotten, and worms got into it. And all these people, they wouldn't follow directions. They were always whining, always complaining, always criticizing. That's the people he would lead. And it's not like, God, you should have told me these people are like that. Oh, no, 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 no. He knew that. He knew that from way back 40 years earlier when he had to deal with the two Egyptians, the two, two uh, Hebrew people who ran him off. Now, lessons. Here's the grown-up lessons. Number one, as long as we're still breathing, God has work for us to do. Now Moses say, God, I'm, I'm 80 years old. It's time for somebody else to do something. I, you don't want me to do this. Somebody else to do it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to get put on the shelf. I don't know why I'm here. God just, I'm just going to be on the shelf. No, no, no. As long as you're still breathing, God has something for you to do. God has a place for you, and God has a purpose for you. Don't ever forget that secondly God can use anyone regardless of their past mistakes God can use anybody regardless of their past mistakes you say well wait a minute wait a minute that's a biggie that he killed somebody well didn't the apostle Paul wasn't he responsible for arresting Christians wasn't he responsible for committing people to death he was standing there when Stephen was stoned. If anybody had a past that would disqualify them from the service of the Lord, it would be the Saul of Tarsus. But he became the Apostle Paul. You see, God used him. Peter, didn't he disappoint us all? He told Jesus he would go to death for him before he would deny him. And all it took was one little servant girl saying, I think you're one of them. And he and he screamed out curses, and he ran off into the night. I don't know the guy. Boy, hang it up, Peter. You're washed out. No, God used him, and God could use you. I don't know what's in your past that you're thinking God could never use me, but God can use any of us, and God has something. Thirdly, and this is important, when we can't make sense of what we were going through today, listen close. Perhaps it's not about today. Forty years, Moses, hiding out in Midian, couldn't understand why this has happened to me. I mean, you have to understand, he had it made. He was strong and mighty indeed. He was up there in Pharaoh's house. He was a prince of Pharaoh, had the best of education, and, of course, because of the Egyptians' actions, he felt he had to act. Now he's running for his life. And for 40 years, I don't know why this has happened. This absolutely doesn't make sense. But you see, God, God's mind wasn't on today. God's mind was on later. And later, this would all come into play. Key word here, 
Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He knew that place like the back of his hand, that whole desert. You say, well, that's the what. Here's the so what. You know what the other name of Horeb, the mountain of God, is? Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments. The place where Moses kept the sheep of Jethro for 40 years. Knew it like the back of his hand was the wilderness through which he led the children of Israel. There were no surprises. He knew where he was going. He knew how to navigate. He knew the lay of the land. For 40 years, God prepared him. So when we're going through something we don't understand, trust God. The problems of today may not be about today. It may be about something he's shaping us for tomorrow. And then the last thing is this. The big picture is more beautiful than all the small ones put together. And you have to look at some of the summary here. Several times in chapter 2 and chapter 3, it is said, God saw the suffering of the children of Israel. God recognized the bondage of the children of Israel. And it says several times, God heard their cry. God heard their anguish, and God saw their suffering, and God saw their bondage, and watch this, sin a deliverer. Now, the big picture is this. God sees the human race, not just the Hebrew race, and God sees our bondage. Now, we may be like the Hebrews say, well, we were never in bondage to any man. Jesus said, the one that commits sin is a servant of sin. Oh, yes, we're in bondage. We're in bondage as the human race. We're in bondage to sin and to evil. And because of that, it's a hard taskmaster. And because of that, there's a penalty to pay that we can't pay. God saw that we're doomed. God saw our bondage. And God sent a deliverer, Jesus Christ. And because of the price that Jesus Christ paid, we can be redeemed out of bondage into the liberty as a child of God. You see, that's the big picture that's presented in the whole story of Egyptian bondage and Moses being sent. It's a picture of the other deliverer that would deliver us from eternal bondage and give us eternal life. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, big lessons here. Big lessons. So we ask, where do, where do these lessons hit us? Something hard that we're going through we don't understand? Trust God. If you put yourself on a shelf and you decide you have nothing to offer to God, God's got something for us to do. Maybe in the spotlight, maybe behind the scenes, but oh, there's something. As long as there's breath. But the main thing, God hears our cry. He sees our hurts. And you need to talk to him about what's going on in your world as we stand and sing. Number 107.